Oh, I was just admiring the amount of information you compiled on this episode. It's, it's not really that much. This, the sewing machine one is going to be nuts. It's It might need to be a two-parter. That's how, that's how bad it was. I just want everyone to know that Garrett really gets off on this. <laughs> but anyway, welcome back to another Moab podcast, bringing to you manufacturing origins and beyond. The Moab podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a guy named John DeLorean. So before we get started off here, I'd like to note a few sources that I used. One being HistoryChannel.com. Another being a book called The Entrepreneurs. This is just a book with different entrepreneurs and basically what they do. So John DeLorean happened to be in that book that I was reading. Also, The Cars That Made America, it's a History Channel TV show. That's a really good one you should check out. And a New York Times article on John DeLorean. So John DeLorean, as most of you know, he came up with this really cool car. It's an all stainless steel car. This was probably back in the 80s, early 80s. Basically, that's what he's known for is his DeLorean car, the DMC-12. So John DeLorean went to school in Michigan at Lawrence Technological University, where there's a few notable engineers and CEOs that have come from this college. He studied industrial engineering. And one thing to really note about this guy is he is 100% a seller. He has a technical mind, a business mind, and he can sell dirt to a poor person. So I have a question. Is it okay? So is DeLorean the car company like separate from GM or is it like an entity that broke off from GM? How like you have like Delphi broke off? We will get into that. But basically he created that himself. He just worked at GM, but he he basically... He quit and then wanted to make something for himself with his own name. So it's not really it's not really part of GM. Okay, so it was a full startup of a car company. Oh, oh yeah, full definitely a, a full startup. All right. But before he started up, upon graduating from Lawrence Technological University, he sold life insurance. And he sold a lot of them, targeting basically people that had engineering degrees, engineering backgrounds. He he sold a bunch of different life insurance policies to engineers around the whole Michigan area. After he stopped selling life insurance to engineers, he started running a educational facility at Chrysler Institute of Engineering. Basically, Chrysler allowed him to further his engineering degrees, and I think he got a master's in business. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And um, Yeah, that's what it was. After he ended running those educational facilities at Chrysler, he went to Packard Motor Company. Now, Packard Motor Company was basically its its own entity. Most people don't know it today because they went out of business. Uh, Packard was super, super popular in the 20s and 30s where they were like big time luxury cars and started to peter off later on uh, and they got bought out by Studebaker. And then Studebaker was bought out by American Motor Company which no one knows today because they went out of business. And no one's really heard that name in the last 30 years. Do you know where Packard was located at, Garrett? Indiana. I don't know. Or in Ohio. Really? Yes, sir. I've been to the Packard Museum. Okay. That is interesting. (laughs) But when Packard merged with Studebaker, DeLorean was given the opportunity to go work for GM instead of 
the company that Packard merged with, which was Studebaker. So we could really talk about John DeLorean's GM career for hours and hours, but I'm going to try and keep it as simple as I possibly can. Starting off in GM's Pontiac division, where he worked alongside the chief engineer, and he learned a lot and produced a lot of patents for GM, and he was finally promoted to chief engineer of the Pontiac division of GM. Now, this seems rather quick. I'm not sure how who he knew to get into to go so high up in the Pontiac division of GM that quickly, but however it was, he did it. Like I said, he's a seller. He could sell himself to... You got to sell yourself if you want to propose. Yeah, I, I guess that's what he had to do. So that's that's really interesting how he all of a sudden moved from, from Packard straight into GM and kind of that high up really quick. I mean, it was there was a lot of time in there where he was promoted to chief engineer of the Pontiac division, but... Still, I mean, he got he got in there pretty high up. So he largely contributed to the making of the Pontiac GTO. So this was basically his his first baby was making the GTO, and uh, with with the rise of the GTO, he became the division head of Pontiac at age forty. So that's that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's I mean that's young for to be a division head of a huge corporation. I guess within a corporation. So Pontiac being the corporation within GM. Do you think he had any personal life? Like was this dude married or was he just married to his work? Oh, I don't believe he was married. That's that's one thing we're getting into here is he was basically considered a rebel. Uh but a corporate world basically by the way he dressed, conveyed himself during his promotional events and how he kept up with the trends of the modern time. Like he was a he was a ladies' man, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't, I don't believe he had a wife at this time. If he did, they were probably divorced. I don't know. He just seemed like he was always. If you go watch that, uh, the cars that built America on the History Channel, you could. They really show him as a person that's really trendy, I guess, and wants to keep up with the trends. Whether I don't, I don't know what his age was, but he he wanted to be young, regardless how old he was. <laughs> So it sounds like John DeLorean liked to party. That is correct. At least that's how he conveyed himself. Yeah, he was definitely a nonconformist when it comes down to like the normal executive within a large corporation. But it played very well for him for the stuff that he did. He was able to sell a lot of Pontiacs. And even when the rest of GM wasn't doing so well, he was selling GTOs like crazy. So yeah, after he was selling GTOs, he was then promoted to GM's Chevrolet division and then eventually named him VP of car and truck operations for all of GM in North America at age 47. And this was in 1972. So this was a this was a big deal. At 47 years old, you're the head of huge operations in North America. And then just a year later, he resigned from GM completely, saying he wanted to do things in the social area and saying he didn't like the way GM was taking the company since 1970 with the rebates for buying cars just didn't seem right to him. What he was saying is that GM was forcing people to buy certain cars that weren't very good looking. That He just wanted something more, basically. He wanted to create a car that was compelling. Yeah, and GM wasn't doing what he wanted to do. Like the cars, I don't know, They were. it seemed like GM in his eyes was just forcing cars down people's throats that weren't appealing, essentially. Yeah, like, if you look at cars from the 
he's they're just big boxy ugly things for the most part yeah that's how most cars are today i think but i'm just i'm just one guy to me it, it honestly seems like he didn't like administration positions like he didn't he didn't want to be that business man he wanted to get more down and dirty and he wanted to to do something for himself, to make things, do something with his hands. I, I'm not sure. That's just the way it seems to me by what he was saying. So that's why I believe he started the DMC, the DeLorean Motor Company. So I, th- I believe as he was starting the DeLorean Motor Company, he also started a consulting career on his own. So with this consulting career, he would consult with American businesses, even the government and foreign governments, I'm guessing on operations and stuff like that. Either way, I mean, he did well, very well for himself. He might have also consulted with other manufacturers, uh, just helping them get up and grow, whatever. Either way it went, he ended up doing like $3 million a year for himself. $3 million for himself. That's a ton of money. And this sort of helped him start the DeLorean Motor Company. What was the spark that got him working on the DeLorean car company, would you say? Uh, He was just really tired of working for GM and he wanted to do something for himself. He was saying a car should make people's eyes light up when they step on the showroom floor and see it. And the rebates that they were talking about before are a way of convincing customers to buy bland cars that they really don't want or something that they're not interested in. So I think that's what really sparked him to want to make something flashy like the DeLorean or what we know as the DeLorean. So like, how much would a DeLorean cost me in today's money? With like the, how much they are now? I mean, comparing to how much they were then to now, or like with the collection factor, how much they no, are No, I'm now? not saying like collection, collector items or anything. I'm saying like in the 80s when he's making DeLoreans, can like a normal person afford that? Or is it still kind of like a luxury car? No, 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 no. We'll get into that a little bit later, but basically the DeLorean was more expensive than the Corvette at that time. Ouch. Much more, like double. But anyway, it, it's really fun to see how DeLorean struggled <laughs> with starting up this car company because he was able to go from like General Motors, the Pontiac division, the, the Chevrolet division, and basically he had as much money as he wanted to do something. If he needed to put in a new casting plant, then they would throw him millions of dollars and he would sign it off and say, okay, make this new casting plant to cast these engines or stamping plant, whatever, whatever that he needed, he got basically because GM is a huge corporation that had a ton of money. And obviously you need a ton of money to start a new car company, more than just like $3 million. (laughs) So DeLorean had a decent amount of like Tesla's burning an insane amount of money and they're, they're losing money still, but yeah, I recently heard that they, uh, they started going, they started turning a profit recently. No, I don't know. Recently. That's what I've been hearing. But anyway, that's a, that'll be another discussion, another podcast on later down the, later on down the road. That's what I'm thinking of. But, uh, yeah, he, DeLorean, he had a ton of investors. Once again, he can sell himself. So he had a ton of investors from wall street, uh, other celebrities, and even other automobile manufacturers like Renault, or for you Americans out there, it looks like Renault, but I'm pretty sure that's something that's French. Anyway, something like $200 million was raised for this. With that money, he founded a very small facility in Ireland to start producing 
this car, the DMC-12. And this was a uh, this was designed by uh, the same guy that designed some Maseratis and Alfa Romeo cars. His name is... <laughs> like, how do I not put that in there? Dude, it's, like, why, it's why would so I not put that in there? Uh, it was designed by Giordietto Guggero, some guy from Italy. I don't know how to really pronounce his name. It's, it's Giorgi- Giorgetto. Giorgetto? Giguaro. I don't know. Either way, this guy had some cool stuff. He he designed the basically the body of it, the the cool part that's worth noting who designed. You should just um, somehow get the pronunciation off of Google and just paste it in to the audio. Yeah. As if you said it. I don't even know. Oh. Giorgetto Giugiaro. This was a car made out of all stainless steel and gall wing doors. The stainless steel, obviously, it doesn't corrode. It doesn't rust like a normal car would. So that made it pretty cool. I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was even painted. The car was not even painted. So, which makes it even more cool because you don't have to worry about paint fading or chipping or all that crap. Basically, you could just, if you got a scratch, you can take some Scotch-Brite to it and sort of buff it out with the Scotch-Brite. I mean, then it'd look good as new, which is really sweet, but it made it really freaking expensive. This thing was $25,000. Today, that is like $67,000. So, could you imagine how great used cars would be if we just built cars to last? Like, they, you obviously wouldn't We'd have tractors. Them. They would be tractors, basically. That's where, like, uh, a Ford... Uh, they would not Ford, be tractors. What's, no. 8N? 8N tractor? That's it. The N-series. Yeah, if we built cars to really last, they'd look like tractors. I mean, they'd be super heavy. They'd be like the Ford 8N tractor. They still go for some a decent amount of money, the ones that do run. They, they go for some dollars, so... But, yeah... This car, I, I mean, it was meant to last, but it was way too, I mean, it was out of people's league by a long shot. I mean, today we're looking at 67 grand. I mean, people do that, and it's possible. I mean, I, I personally wouldn't buy a car that's worth that much unless I had a lot of money. But, I mean, a regular person bringing in $100,000 a year, I don't know. I mean, they could. It's not really feasible. I guess they, if you're bringing in that much and you don't have any kids don't have a house yeah then you could afford it but anyway at that time the corvette was only eighteen thousand dollars so we're talking seven thousand dollars over what a corvette cost at that time so this was really a problem although this thing was an awesome looking car that didn't help the fact that it was outrageously priced and this ultimately led to the delorean motor company to shut down but before this thing really shut down he DeLorean, he, he didn't want to, he didn't want to shut down. He was willing to do really anything in his power to keep this thing going. So before closing the DeLorean Motor Company doors, John DeLorean was arrested and charged with conspiracy to obtain and distribute distribute 55 pounds of cocaine. That was in 1982, and he was acquitted of those charges in 1984. One might wonder what in the world? How do you get acquitted of having 55 pounds of cocaine. Well, they said it was some type of government entrapment. So he was acquitted and got away scot-free. Did he get to keep the cocaine? Um, yeah, I don't know who got that. <laughs> I'm just asking the questions that the listeners want to hear. He was also indicted in 1985, just a year later after he was acquitted of the cocaine charges. He was indicted for racketeering 
fraud, tax evasion, but yet, once again, he was acquitted. Somehow, I'm not really sure how, but... He must have had a really good lawyer. I, I don't know. Apparently, he, he must have. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if he was in de- if he needed money, I'm not sure where he got the money for the lawyer, but, I mean, he must have had somebody on his side that, that knew what they were doing, or I don't, I don't know. But I don't really I don't really care how he was acquitted. This is a uh, like a manufacturing podcast, not a law podcast. The guy was just trying to make cars. Just yeah. let him make cars. He just wanted to make cars. But it's a it's a tough world out there, especially in the uh, in the car manufacturing world. Not too many startups make it. Tesla being the outlier, but still, even then. But this guy died in 2005 with only producing less than 10,000 cars. Which most of most of these cars are still in in operation today in today's society. I mean, they're they're collectors' cars. So I mean, those those cars are still out there, and they they still are really cool still today. And guess what? There is no rust on them. <laughs> so I I really appreciate this uh, this guy's spirit and entrepreneurial ways. I mean, he did basically literally whatever it took if it meant him going to jail. And you could tell by the way he talks. He didn't really want to do it for money. And he literally says, a man doesn't do what I'm doing for money. So he was never really motivated by money to do what he did. Uh, He just wanted to make cars. And I'm guessing he really wanted his legacy to live on forever. And really that the movie Back to the Future really helped, (laughs) really helped his legacy. And I mean, for the better, really. I'm not sure. I think Steven Spielberg did that movie, but for whatever Back reason, he picked... What's that? Back to the Future? Yeah, Back to the Future. For whatever reason, uh, Steven Spielberg, he picked the DeLorean for for like the main car. I'm not sure why, but it... It was very futuristic looking, dude. That's true. I mean, it really benefited DeLorean and the name. So that's why most people still, still know the name, uh, which is cool. I'm not sure if like the generation younger than us, I mean, we're 24 and 25... I don't know if the generation younger than us really knows about it, but either way, it's it's still cool. I mean, they're still out there. So he was always really trying to be like a social man and uh, and be recognized for the work that he did. Uh, and he never seemed like he got a whole lot of recognition from GM. Like he was an outcast to GM and like the executives of GM, at least in my mind, just by the way he acted and by the way he was able to, to sell things that nobody else could. I don't, I don't know. He just seemed more like an outcast. But it worked to his favor. But before we uh, before we go out here, I guess it's really worth noting that that uh, the plant that he bought in Ireland cost him a hundred million pounds. So I think that's I mean that's more than a hundred million dollars, maybe like a hundred and twenty million dollars. And this would have been in nineteen eighties. So yeah, then you got to adjust inflation. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was a lot of money. He I mean he raised a lot of money, but it's. <laughs> He spent a lot of money right off the bat. I mean, he had to pay to get this thing like designed by the by Giorgetto, and he uh, I think yeah that's right. He had a uh, Renault, the car company, the one that uh, owns Lotus. It was it was a Lotus design chassis and like body kind of. So it was this the stainless steel body sitting on a Lotus chassis. Oh, if I had a dime for every time someone tries to start a car company. Sitting on the Lotus chassis, I would yeah. Tesla, Tesla also did that. So that's that's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, these. What's that? 
done that too. Who? I think Faraday Future may have designed something on a Lotus chassis as well. Who is Faraday? Oh, yeah. Who is that? I heard it, but I can't remember. Sorry, I was looking up an inflation calculator to figure out how much money Gondolorian lost in today's dollars. Look up Faraday Future. They're still struggling, actually. Didn't I think? I, actually, that would be a good uh, current event. Faraday Future's CEO just quit. Sorry, their last founding executive has resigned and plans for emergency funding of employees are in place. What is Faraday Future? What do they do? They are an electric car start uh. startup on the West Coast. Uh, I think they're Chinese-owned. It says American car startup, but I'm pretty sure all their funding is coming from overseas. Uh, that makes sense. Ah, they are using the Lotus chassis. For the FF91 body in white. There you go. A lot of people using the Lotus chassis these days. I might as well start a car, co- I start a car company with the Lotus chassis. I feel fine by saying that the Lotus chassis gets around. That is which true. Which I guess is good for a car. So another quick fact on the DeLorean is there was a lot of dealerships in the United States that really wanted this car. But at this point, they didn't know how much it would cost. And they did. I mean, there was a ton of a ton of dealerships reserved this car basically before it was built, and they said they would buy a certain amount of cars. But with these production, I mean, they had a ton of production delays on top of like the cost of the car, like of people why people weren't buying it. There was a ton of production delays, and it didn't really reach the the market until 1981, which was almost 10 years after the company was founded. That is crazy. So uh, they had a, a lot of problems there and with the cost of the car and the 1980 uh, recession, it, it didn't work out too well. So that's that's one of those one of those things of why DeLorean Motor Company really didn't last, although I wish it had. So I think that wraps things up for this podcast. Is there anything else? Anything you're uh, anything interesting you've you've seen lately, Taylor? I don't know. Say any, really anything, YouTube. Anything I've seen in the news or anything I've seen? Literally anything. Like I'm going to say like there's this one YouTube channel that I really enjoy listening to, watching, and that is called Machine Thinking. That I I saw saw that. That popped up on my LinkedIn. Yeah, that dude, he knows what's going on. There's a lot of people talking about him. Like I think I subscribed to him at like 15,000 subscribers and he – He's been recognized by like a few other other YouTubers, podcasters, whoever, and he really jumped way up. And his content is freaking sweet. Last time I, th- I saw, I think he was getting he was closing in on fifty thousand YouTube subscribers, which sweet. is crazy. Shout out to Machine Thinking. Yes, go follow him on YouTube. All right, G, I gotta get going. I've got to pick up two Mexicans at five a.m. Okay, that sounds <laughs> sounds great. Well. Follow us on the social medias. I know, Taylor, you don't have any social medias, uh, but you can follow me at mojo.mfg on Instagram, and I think it's Mojo Manufacturing on uh, Facebook. That's that's my main my main personal thing. Follow me there. What do you, you got anything, Taylor? I don't know. You don't, you're not even on social media anymore. I have deleted most of my social media when I make a comeback. There you go. And we will be having the Moab podcast, Twitter and Instagram soon, and Facebook page, that is. So, yeah, I think that's it for now. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.